everyone. I'm Ankit Obrai, founder and CEO at Zento, known popularly for our software and offering at Pushup. we at the podium just managed to get the perfect timing as we were working to release this amazing conversation between your host Akshay Dat and Ankit Oberoi the founder of Ad Pushup we heard the news that Ad Pushup has been acquired for 70 million dollars in an all cash deal by a SoftBank group company This is a phenomenal ending to an amazing story. Ankit went through many years of struggle in the journey of building up Ad Pushup, pivoting multiple times and not really attracting investor interest for many years. In fact, it had only raised about 2.5 million dollars before the acquisition, making this one of the most profitable acquisitions in the SaaS space in India. In this conversation, Ankit shares the roller coaster ride of building up Ad Pushup and making it into a global MarTech SaaS company and the lessons he learned along the way. Stay tuned and subscribe to the Founder Thesis podcast to learn directly from founders building some of india's most successful global product companies then a cousin of mine actually got a desktop that big machine like i think back in 98 97 98 i was born in 89 so i was about 9 10 years of age and then i got a really deeper experience i was also learning a little bit of programming at that stage uh basic right a beginner beginners all purpose symbolic instruction code and all those turtles and all those programming languages because i also had an interest in business i would uh, read books like uh, richard branson story michael delka story rich dad poor dad from robert e. kiyosaki so i was reading all these books and like different stories so i realized ki i already understand science technology and i had that interest now i thought what i don't know a lot about is business So let me take commerce. What did you do for graduation? I didn't graduate, so I dropped out of college in the first semester itself. I think towards the end of first semester, you joined like a BCom or something. A BBA, bachelor's program. And uh, a lot of my friends together, we thought, okay, let's pick this college, let's go there. Especially one of my early close friends, we were do were doing business degrees. And I ended up also starting a business with him. My second startup was with him. A big change happened is when I got access to internet around 2004. I was like, wow, it really changed my perspective about so many things. My learning accelerated so much. So there was one particular game, Electronic Arts, but the Sims. And in that game, you could build objects. So I learned a little bit of different tools. Flash was very popular back then. Then there were a few other tools, so I started making objects for that game. You can think of it as digital furniture, etc. And I would just make it for fun while browsing on the internet. One day, I realized that people were would pay for it, and I was like, "Wow, people are paying for something online because this was that generation where e-commerce did not exist, especially in India." When my dad got me that internet connection, he thought this is just a waste of money, and there is no like nobody knew that you could make money in computers, right? In India, so that was a complete shock to me as well. So in my pursuit to sell some of these objects which I was creating online, I really figured out what websites are, how to create a website, how to register a domain name, and that whole thing was so exciting for me. Then that I pivoted and ended up creating my first startup, which was a web hosting company. Right, this was not as sexy as as we call it today, the cloud. It was just a regular web hosting company which I created back in 2004. I was I think in 10th grade, and that's how business started. What I did was basically I reached out to maybe 100 web hosting companies, 
and uh, I told them, look, I'm going to run a community about this gaming and we will promote you and we will run ads about you and send you customers and all. I have zero money. I only have a domain name. So give me free hosting. So one web hosting company ended up agreeing to it. The guy's name was Tim. We went on a MSN call and uh, I explained to him, he basically saw like I'm a kid, right? So he was like, okay, I'll give you for stuff. three months. If you send me any customer, great. Otherwise, you know, we'll have to shut it off. But in that forum, so basically that community used to operate on a forum. Forums were very popular back in the day, right? That's when I realized key, like, there was so much interest. People also wanted to open their websites. That whole community angle was like so interesting. I was spending so much time on the forum that I realized, okay, there could be a business here. And I started participating in other web hosting forums, etc. So I think I convinced some people, you know, getting money from whom was no option for something like this, right? I think we didn't even have a credit card or something, right? So I, I opened up an account or something, you know, at that time it was much more easier. I convinced some people to put donation for the forum, the gaming forum, which I was running about these objects. And somehow hustled my way into get, getting a reseller account through this guy, you're right. And then using that to resell space. But within like three more months, like in six months, it picked up so well that I had dedicated servers, which I was getting in Florida. And then I loved managing that Unix part, going on command line, shell, like running those servers. I had learned so much about it, which was the most fascinating part for me. And within six months, I had these dedicated servers in the US, which I was managing remotely from here, creating hosting accounts. How much money were you making? So I think the memory which I have, which was a milestone, I think about one year into the business, I got two dedicated servers and I was roughly making within the first year, year and a half, about 80 to 90,000 rupees a month or 1 lakh rupees a month from here on that. And how old were you? I was 16, 15, 16, 15 actually. And I was enjoying to learn a lot about information security because around that time, you know, it had been three years since I had started my hosting, web hosting on a business. So we would constantly face security issues. So that made me more curious about server security, information security. And while all of this was happening, I was getting a little bored running that hosting business. So, uh, and this was also the first semester in college. And then my friend and I, you know, we would... Uh, talk about security all the time, information security, technology, what was happening in the hacking world, typical geeks. So took that decision to drop out, sell this business, this web hosting business, and then start something in security, which which was the second startup in a bus. Okay. Yeah. 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 So this was what, was it like a consulting business? Like you were acting as security consultants? It started off as a training business uh, where we would be doing certification programs for security teaching people. So it started in the first couple of years as a training business. But I think as the journey had it, we came across a lot of people uh, who also wanted uh, some software around security. So And then that's how we had a bit of a spin-off where my co-founder took the lead on it and still runs that business is where we started building software for law enforcement agencies or governmental bodies where, you know, deep tech, security, etc. Which, of course, was always our passion to build something like software and technology. And that happened, I think, maybe a couple of years after, down the line, after we started. And your clients were Indian companies or you were selling to US companies? Like It was all basically governmental, law enforcement and government bodies, all Indian at that point in time. Like government sales is not easy to do, right? Like, how did you manage that? We, no, absolutely. And that was one of the reasons that in 2014, I stepped out and my co-founder for some time also stepped out. 
of that business, we put it on the back burner. It was bootstrap business. So there was, you know, it was completely owned by us, completely bootstrap, cash flow positive. Grew really well, but, you know, hit a ceiling because of that same reason, as you mentioned. But luckily for us, that market was so small that a customer discovered us and basically told us this is what we want. So it was like co-creation where we ended up building the first version of the software based on the needs of a customer. And as I said, the market... What was the software? Like, help me understand that. So think of it as like Palantir, just like how there is Palantir in the US market. We were doing something of that as well as helping law enforcement agencies run offensive security tools. So that plus maybe uh, the Palantir data part. So they would use this for whatever they had in terms of campaigning or, you know, like monitoring their adversaries. Very high-tech stuff, very security-heavy hacker stuff, things like that. I don't exactly know what Palantir does in the US. So so Palantir uh, is Peter Thiel's, uh, you know, startup there. And this is basically a go-to tool where a lot of law enforcement agencies, central intelligence agencies will be able to, let's say, keep a track of a lot of big data coming in understand like for example if they have certain targets or adversaries they're going after what their profiles are collect a lot of information about for example terrorists collect a lot of information about criminals etc keep a track on that and just with data be able to figure out for example how they can advise their teams on ground on what to do so like a surveillance tool like say it would be scanning social media posts to identify if there are known threat actors then and if there's any post or there's an image of that known threat actor somewhere that would get flagged for an analyst to investigate further and stuff like that that could would be one part of it although there's more specialized tool this is also a very you know developed space so i think taking care of the initial level input screening that there's specialized softwares for that but I think it would be used a lot more in terms of like, for example, hacking into some of these targets, right? Like using offensive tools to manage access, to extract more data, get their legally permitted to, as well as yet they have probable cause to be able to attack some of these adversaries and gain confidential access to some of their information resources. Yeah, I thought this was like largely what Pegasus offers, right, to governments. In a way, you're right. I think Pegasus will be perhaps closer so it w- because there's also a strong data element to it. So we closer a little more, a lot more to Palantir, but a combination. But uh, business maybe next day, you could have done what NSO did with Pegasus. Like NSO initially was doing for Israel and then they started selling it to governments across the world. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think one thing we realized very quickly is we are tech people. And I think we had solved this for a few people here. The moment you go to an international arena, things were different. Back in India, we tried raising funds. So I think the laws about export of software at that point in time were so rigid and complex that the kind of software we were building, they were not. And of course, in NATO countries, there were some so many other requirements. I think the kind of profile, the kind of customers we needed. So we need, we were th- we were selling it as like a small shop for specific agencies with relationships and all our customers were through referrals and all that, right? But to run it at a global scale internationally, we needed a more corporate foundation. So we tried raising funds a couple of times. VCs back in India did not understand, you know, deep tech itself back in 2010, 2011, information security. And then they would hear about all of this, security, which I mean, they, they sometimes they would get scared, right? I, I still remember we had like Indian Angel Network was used to be big, right? So we would uh, go to IL meetups and all and interact. And, you know, a lot of people would ask us questions, which probably made us realize that they don't understand the space at all, right? 
and deep tech was not their thing. Actually, the only thing which now in hindsight I can think is would have made sense is basically move the company to US and start selling to the you know NATO countries and things like that. Perhaps would have been a much better option. Market would have expanded. But that would have needed capital first, no? Like setting up operations in US is not cheap. You would have needed to hire a team there, incorporate there and all that. Yes, or maybe, you know, noodle budget sort of, you know, hustle your way up, something like that. Maybe of that sort, but we didn't really have any exposure outside the US at that point in time, right? So I think that was probably a mistake. But also because I think there was some monotony coming in. By, by 2013-14, it had been six, seven years since we were running the business. And then on top of that, we realized that this is more like a B2G. We, as you said, the government fails. Even if it would have gone to the US, one thing which are government bodies, how they operate does not change a lot. right? So even outside India, that slow sales process, having a very bureaucratic sales system, that's not something which we would enjoy. And at that point in time, a very close friend of ours was doing B2B SaaS. We all used to live in this area in Delhi called Rohini. And this friend of ours had just started, this startup had taken off B2B SaaS, SMB. So Paras and Spursh basically back then were doing really well. And we realized we always enjoyed making software, also do a little bit of marketing and then not be involved too much into the sales process, right? And that was perfect. That is what we were seeing basically, which was working for them. So we spoke at length with Paras and Spursh, me and my co-founder, Atul. And what we realized is they had built a great A-B testing tool, but it was for market years. Now, because of my experience, I told you as a publisher back in 2004-05, when you pay me those dollar checks, I realized that their A-B testing tool was not covering one need or use case, which is for publishers, like how do banner blindness as a phenomena was growing a lot. You know, CTR ad clicks right? People were becoming more immune to banner ads. And that has an impact on content creation. So content creators could not monetize their website so well. So like, which is basically the fundamental in a sense of how, you know, all the internet content that we find. If I'm a content creator, can I like move my ads around? They said, no, this is not a market. But I realized that this is a big 20, 30 billion dollar market and there is no tool for it, which does EB testing. So it was kind of a category creation in hindsight, of course. Category creation is so tough and so difficult. But as a young entrepreneur, when you lack all that wisdom, you realize, okay, nobody is doing that. Let me jump into this. This must be a billion dollar idea, right? As I said, too foolish sometimes, right? So I think things took a great turn when we started a blog first approach. So even before building the first version of a script or any form of product, we basically started blogging about the problem. And we suddenly realized there were so many people, which is why I think my personality is, has changed from a developer to a marketer now at core around that point where we started with this block first approach and we started seeing a lot of people would come and discuss that, yeah, this is a problem. This is a challenge. We would love to do that. We've never done it. So we had together some code on another, another weekend and we basically put our product on beta list where it didn't exist, basically talking about the value that we would provide. And we suddenly saw 30, 40 people came up. We interviewed some of them and out of that three or four people said, you know what? Yeah, we would love to A-B test where to put my ads. Right now, let's say if I have my ad on the right side of the page, let's try left side or bottom of the article. We've never A-B tested things like this. So we said, sure, great. I mean, 
and i think we ended up spending two or three months in uh, no product just basic javascript which we used to like rotate their ads move it and within that two three month period some of these publishers or these website owners almost doubled their revenue their advertising revenue so what did you create as a product just help me understand that also like did you write the code for those multiple versions or was it happening in an automated way like if there's a particular layout for a website where the ad is on top and that's it and then you want to experiment let's put an ad on the side and add on the bottom so how did this uh, multiple versions get created we were doing it manually at that point in time the first three months it was all manual no product no automation no data collection etc so basically that one javascript will randomly decide which version to play and based on that there will be some marker in the document object which where it will insert the ad or inject the ad for that variation the thing with which we realized what was not so complicated for us was super complicated for an average publisher because they did not understand technology right i think that's where we realized the beauty of the business was the companies that we were working with or those publishers we were working with their whole business trajectory changed imagine if you're doubling your income whatever your top line is we are able to improve that by 70 80% or double it within a month or two months the way you look at your business changes completely right they were hiring more people creating more content so that was so inspirational that we decided this is definitely not something we should put to the side invest more time on it so then we started talking to more people we started by that time the startup ecosystem was a bit more mature we started going to some more startup events and in the meantime we were continuing to talk more about our interest in that other business was slowly declining we were spending more and more time and then in one of our conversations my co-founder at that time uh, we said yeah let's raise some money and like push the pedal to the floor speed se karte and then we went to speak to like i think we we went to went to a few events like let's venture ki and all and uh, we also spoke to parasels first which ended up like saying sure we would invest in your business so they were one of the first two people to commit because they were able to see that we were able to take the power of ab testing to completely different market and be able to figure out a completely different use case and i think just within one and a half month we saw that there were more and more referral publishers coming to us to use this hackish product to the point that we realized so agar we will create this for everybody so like who is going to see the performance report who is going to create the code it was creating like for the development process and then at that time within that one one and a half month period we were seeing so much interest from angel investors that within like that period maximum i think two months we ended up getting commitments of about half a million six hundred thousand dollars which for us was like wow because we were running the company with seven figure revenues and just like one year before profitable yet in a security space etc we had people showing no interest whereas suddenly we're doing something else and different market software positioning and suddenly we have so much investors actually we were we had planned to raise half a million we received commitments of like a million dollars and then of course we did prorate and all to avoid dilution did a few things and ended up randomly closing at 632000 we actually wrote a blog post about it also that how we raised this money within that two month period and which also went viral in 2014 and we had gathered uh, i think investments from technology entrepreneurs funds from all over the world as i said in india this was this included people like amit ranjan from slideshare Jonathan from Slideshare, Kima Ventures, uh, the French fund, Purvi Capital, and generations of entrepreneurs, right? Like you know, they just going up from the Tally family. Like 
different, but most of them, you know, all technology or software entrepreneurs from from the Valley, from India, from, from Europe. And I think that's when we decided, okay, great. We've raised around, let's not drink our own Kool-Aid. We, I think, got an article on TechCrunch and a few other things. I said, okay, let's put heads down. And that's how we made our first mistake. We put, we decided, ki, okay, now let's shut down everything and start making the product. Because at that, in that point, we had a POC, right? In hindsight, this was like a very, very big mistake. We were continuing to do marketing. We were continuing to build a waiting list. And the blog part, social distribution, so many people were coming on the website with all the PR happening. Everybody wanted to try out how this product would work and how they would also increase their revenue. But we started thinking again, more like developers, like, okay, let me get the perfect product out first. And uh, product then you know people are waiting for us, you know, as they, so everything will be sorted. And it was supposed to be a three-month period, right? Where we would say that we would have the product out. But none of us had built a product in this space before. We had almost no experience in that tech. The only experience in that tech was as a publisher, as a publisher. And so very quickly we realized that three months began six months. Six months became nine months to the point that we started having a test fever in the company. Like, Are, what is going on? Here we are, you know, where media is chasing us and like we are 2014, 15 early. We were positioned as, you know, uh, by Inc. 42 and some other companies as one of the best startups. And yeah, product I'm on hold better. What are we doing? And as I said, you know, that, that was first lesson. You know, that basically that, that set us back for some time. We launched our product in 2015 then, eventually, closer to the summers. And Type the product to me, like if I'm, if I'm running a, a blog, what will be my experience of using the product? That first proper, proper launch that we did was a visual A-B testing tool for publishers, which meant that you will basically open your website inside our product, connect your AdSense account, right? Install our JavaScript, and then all your ad spots will become draggable. And by install JavaScript, like on WordPress, there would be some way to install JavaScript or something. Like a plugin. Or you can, yeah, if it's WordPress through a plugin or you can insert header footer plugins, you will put our code, one line code on your job, on your website. And once you've done that, once you've connected your AdSense account, so you know, your third product, you will get like a Wizzwick editor, right? Where your website, your different category pages, etc., you know, different type of pages will open up automatically on different types of screens like uh, desktop, mobile, tablet. And then all your current ads which you have put there will basically in some way become draggable. So you can create multiple versions of those pages and then our system will help test, okay, if your ad, a 3 by 300 by 250 versus a 336 by 280 ad in the same spot, which one does better? Or if it is to try different text styles of the ad, native ads, which one will do better? So you will be able to experiment with all of that in the first version. Oh, but we did end up getting a good, surprising to our interest, a good set of publishers onboarded when we launched, which we did in phases. Premium thing, like a 15-day free trial or something. Oh, 30-day free trial. We were also figuring out pricing. We were also AP testing our pricing models. pricing models to see which one is better or which one will stay. And, 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 and why that was happening? But I think what we realized very quickly is, which we would have ideally known sooner if we would have, like, let's say, not stopped doing that manual approach to, you know, optimization, is that within two to three months of trying the product, especially if people, but if we are charging people a decent amount of money, so 
in such a scenario within two or three months they will notice that okay my ab testing is complete i know which are the best ad spots now i can increase with the increment value add from ab testing is not that high once you figure out the moda moda exactly like once you've optimized the layout then it's done like then maybe you do that once a year ہائی So what do we do? We can't invest in marketing or building a business where there is a such a strong leaky bucket. So we went back to the drawing board. But what's uh, the problem? Kya hai? Like, there are so many businesses which have this limited period use case you use when you need it. Like say, if I'm looking for a job, I will maybe pay for some premium subscription. And once I find a job, I may not use it again. Like say a resume writing product or so on. Which... So the problem was that in the publishing space, right, that change of design does not happen as often. Publishers, second, it is not as big as a consumer market or like this is a very hard. So the market size is very sort of like, in fact, that we also learned a year later. So I'll tell you the chronological order, what our learning about the market was. And we were going through inbound, right? So inbound, you get more like small, medium sized businesses, which are very, very cost sensitive. right which are extremely consensitive in terms of like how long will they pay the moment they realize you okay value will come away and they'll cut off you immediately we were again left scratching our heads because it had been one year and three months since we had raised funds revenue start ho gaya tha i think i think the first month we if my memory serves me well about 26000 in revenue right so hamlog uh, i think around 2016 ke aas paas we were close to maybe i think 300 300k or something sort of 200 300k sort of revenue aa gaya tha hamara and was that enough to like manage your costs or were you like losing money like we were losing money and that's where the second important lesson from at pushup came which was around understanding your market landscape buyer persona to hume clear tha but understanding the different the landscape of marketing that break up how important that is it became very clear because we had built everything around smb we had built everything and and of course based on the market the channels that you pick right so what we realized is ki after a lot of research and by that time we had started doing a partnership with google we became partners with google in india thanks to introduction from one of our angel investors they had a program where we could sign up and basically it was like a win win partnership where google will help us get customers and since we will improve the revenue of publishers it's also great for a company like google because when a publisher's revenue goes up Google's revenue also goes up and while that was happening we were sort of like ab abhi bhi ab testing hi chal raha tha we were trying to figure out the market and one key insight thanks to this partnership and all the doors that opened for us and the market research which sort of came with it etc is that pareto rule of 80/20 applies very strongly in this market where 80% of the business is with 20% of the publishers which are enterprise mid market or enterprise right and at the same time hum ye problem bhi solve kar rahe the ki ab testing se to fir bhi baaki chalegi teen teen mahine char mahine bech ke fayda nahi hai 
the kind of time that we will invest in or time of sales or the money that will be needed, the sales process, instruments for getting uh, these channels which uh, provide access to such large customers. So getting to the core, we realized how complex the whole ad tech ecosystem was. Nobody had any idea what was happening under the hood, let's say, in a system like Google. And the market is clearly dominated by Google, right? For the publishing space display, the display ecosystem. Google is which controls this market to a large extent. Or did at that time, now it is comparatively less. But at that time, it was a clear monopoly, right? So, but nobody had any idea what was happening under the hood. Once they would put Google Ad Exchange or Google DFP back then, Ad Manager now, or Google AdSense, people thought, okay, everything is sorted. And even at Google, it's a legacy product, like this, the Ad Manager Ad Server product, which came from DoubleClick. These were all like 10, 15 year old products, right? So when we started looking deeper and deeper, we realized how inefficient the whole monetization system was. Eventually in bits and pieces, we said, what's the problem? Let's fix it. But we are building that backbone around the ad server, which is now running the auction. Jo auction is basically for, you know, for, for listeners, for example, who are not aware that every time when we open a web page, right, there is an auction which happens where tens of thousands of advertisers bid on that spot and the highest winner gets to show their ad, which is called this programmatic ecosystem, right? So we had, we had built the whole auction, you know, bits and pieces, of course, we were basically, we had built up the, that auction logic for that publisher around the whole Google ecosystem on wherever, what bits and pieces, it was not so great with just Google alone. And then again, same problem, category creation. People did not even know who is the leader because people thought that Google is the leader. Whether that is an ad manager product or an ad exchange product. But one critical thing that it was able to solve is the moment you remove this piece of technology, then your revenue goes back down to where it was because auction logic that is not like just A-B testing. So we realized that what we needed or what we are doing is not A-B testing. Where optimizing the revenue so ad revenue optimization right so that is the category that we were creating ad revenue optimization not a b testing for publishers and i think that was a big change and that's when things started taking off 2016 mid and suddenly we had interest from a company based out of japan called genie they're listed there now and they're backed by softbank and they were in the similar space of solving problems for publishers in japan so they said, Ki, what you guys are doing is great. We'd love to invest like $2 million into your company. You guys decide the valuation and we will also bring your product to market here in Japan. For us, money was not the, I think, convincing factor. It was that they said that we will take your product to all their customers in Japan. Right. And they were a much larger company at that point in time for us. So we said, sure, perfect, sounds great. And we ended up raising $2 million with them and starting our GTM for Japan or integration which with their product they were also a product oriented company ssp they were a supply side platform and we started working on that integration with them which we eventually realized that integration and any sort of like product planning and how complicated or how procedural it is that it took almost one and a half years to from that point to eventually launch it with a japan japanese company so so many learnings along the way for that but our fundamental product by that time, that the positioning we had understood, the product where that pivot was complete. Tell me the publisher experience for the, the V2 product. Like if I'm, let's say, running a news site of 
let's say like a million users every month come and read read it. So that would be like your kind of customer that you'd be going after. So what would be my experience? What would I, how would I sign up and what, how would it impact what I'm doing? And Sure, sure. So one big change which happened is that first version, most of our publishers, I would say 90-95% of them were AdSense users, right? They were all using Google AdSense. Now, since you're going for more larger accounts, mid-market or enterprise, this changed. Um, um, 70-80% of them were ad exchange users or DFP us time bolte the Google ke product ko, Google DFP users. So integration pura change ho gaya tha. What's the full form of DFP? Double click for publishers. But now it is called Google Ad Manager. Mm-hmm. And what is the difference between AdSense and Ad Manager? How are these different? So Ad, AdSense is like the retail product for small medium publishers where you set it and forget it. Aple char click kiya, AdSense ka JavaScript mila, paste kiya and forget it. When you would use ad exchange, that is a far more ad exchange and uh, ad manager now, the ad serving tool, generally they come coupled together. So ad exchange on a product is far more superior than AdSense because there is more control, like you have access to more premium advertisers. And as an ad manager, you can run your direct sales campaigns also. So anything bought on media house or a larger media publisher, more control, more granularity, better analytics, better reporting, more details, something which a small publisher will never use also. It will be too complicated for them. Industry specialized teams, then you have different teams in a more advanced setup. You have ad operations team, you have your sales or revenue team. So it would manage the workflows for them, etc. So that from an integration point what changed. But I think one thing which was the same as the entry point is still the visual editor that we are showing you the ad. You can play with the ads. But one difference now is that when you put the ad through our platform, while you are connected to your ad exchange and everything and your demand seats, one thing, big difference is now we are running the auction. So on your website, we are not simply just sending the ad call to Google and saying, okay, fill the unit. But is it Google doing that? Like through their ad exchange, ad manager program, like they... They also participate in the auction. But since this is far more better product, we are able to make them compete. So we have a lot more control and granularity in terms of how we can offer. How are you able to make them compete? Like you have more, you have like integrations with multiple exchanges, like... Is it like, say, Shiprocket, like I could directly use for logistics, like a delivery or something. But if I use Shiprocket and Shiprocket integrates with all logistics partners and it lets me choose. Absolutely. Spot on. So basically now we are connecting and making Google compete with 10 to 15 other exchanges. So like it will be Google and Inmobi and like all of the Apple. Yes. When now they are competing, the winning bid is Google, now they are competing with it. So suddenly, what changes is publishers who so far had never had a taste outside Google, where 90% of the programmatic, 95% of the programmatic revenue came from Google, 60, 50-60% and because see, nobody had built that layer, that, that code, which will make them compete efficiently, right? But the key bit here is that while A-B testing car incremental revenue jump first three months is quite high, this is a bit be maybe 30-40-50% additional revenue. Hai. But after three months, if you remove our product, so that auction ka jo increment aapko mil hai, wo ho jata hai. So that's basically why now the product is far more sticky. And the last few years, for example, that but the dividends for which we still are earning 
Yes. Say for example, last year we hardly lose customers. We, I mean, while accounts grow, net churn, you know, net to positive होता because accounts end up growing. But even on gross basis, we don't end up losing three percent, three three and a half percent of our customers. That became like, I think, in hindsight, that was such a big thing that we solved early for. Had we not, I think, our growth that we are seeing since the last few years. To give you some context. This year we were the 33rd fastest growing company in North America. Last year we were the 19th fastest growing company in North America. All without any additional capital after that last two million dollars, right? Would have never happened. And what was your GTM like in Japan? Of course, you had that Gini partnership, but for other countries, and I'm guessing you would have wanted to focus on like US as a market. Actually. Hundred percent. US is fifty percent of the overall programmatic market. So we were absolutely focused on that. And first lesson, as we discussed, was that you know, like when you buy iPhone eight, that the launch new stuff, don't cut off seven. Second was about the market. कि मार्केट का अंडरस्टैंडिंग कितना क्रूशल है एंड थर्ड वॉज या फॉर हैंड्स एक स्टार्टअप के लिए पार्टनरशिप्स बहुत बड़े चले तो हर कोई पार्टनरशिप में लग गया बट योर मॉडल और योर चैनल ऑफ एक्विजिशन हैज टू मैच दिस सेगमेंट ऑफ द मार्केट दैट यू गोइंग आफ्टर एंड वी स्टार्टेड डूइंग अ लॉट मोर ऑफ लाइक एबीएम अकाउंट बेस्ड मार्केट इवेंट फॉर व्हिच वी हैड रीक्रिएटेड अ प्लेबुक फ्रॉम स्क्रैच इनफैक्ट आई थिंक वी एंडेड अप बिल्डिंग समथिंग रियली न्यू व्हाइल वी हैड इनबाउंड एंड आउटबाउंड आउटबाउंड वाज दिस एफर्ट व्हिच इज दैट एयर कवर फॉर द सेल्स टीम वेयर दे आर गोइंग आफ्टर अदर अकाउंट्स वी एंडेड अप डेवलपिंग समथिंग व्हिच इन इंटरनली वी कॉल्स मार्केटिंग व्हिच इज अ सेल्स एनेबल्ड मार्केटिंग टीम व्हिच इज अ वेरी हेवी एबीएम टीम व्हिच मेजॉरिटी ऑफ आवर रेवेन्यू नाउ कम्स विद द हेल्प ऑफ दिस टीम and uh, so one quick question here can you help me understand what is abm account based marketing so basically when you are doing enterprise sales or if you are looking at like the higher end of the market you can't say that okay the market is 10 billion dollars and okay somebody will come and sign up or uh, let's find out so uh, you actually have to do that research and say okay when you book when you are going after larger accounts you have to be very personalized based on the region that people are in based on the language that they speak etc so you have to say okay india mein mere paas 25 accounts hai which qualify as my icp in state of let's say california mere paas 36 prospects hai which qualify as my icp so you have to actually drill down and make list and ye jo accounts ki list hoti hai right उनको जब आप मार्केट करते हो तो बेसिकली अकाउंट बेस्ड मार्केटिंग यू आर गोइंग आफ्टर स्पेसिफिक अकाउंट्स एंड व्हाट वर यू प्राइसिंग इट एट सो एट दैट पॉइंट इन टाइम वुड प्राइस इट ऑफ ऑफ देयर रेवेन्यू लेट्स से इफ अ पब्लिशर इज जनरेटिंग एन एक्स अमाउंट वी वुड पुट अ परफॉर्मेंस कंपोनेंट दैट दिस इज माय बेसलाइन एंड व्हाटएवर इंक्रीमेंटल रेवेन्यू दैट वी विल जनरेट वी विल टेक अ परसेंटेज ऑफ दैट so and and what was that percentage if you are at liberty to share we 10% yeah yeah we started at 10% We expanded and grown back since then, but uh, started at ten percent of the incremental revenue or delta. I think by around twenty seventeen and or twenty eighteen, that playbook was like becoming very clear, and we had started building more products like pre-bid, auction logic models, etc., all on top of it. And I think the team had slowly again started growing, which had shrunk from from twenty five to maybe ten. 12 people at one point in time when we had no clarity of what to do it had started growing again so they were all healthy signs one thing which happened during that my, my co-founder left right and went back to the security business with two early years during that time which was perhaps one of the hardest thing you know when things weren't working out this was all before we had figured out that new product and how that new ad revenue optimization positioning works fast forward to today luckily in india we cover like most of the big media houses from z to network 18 we have had 
a lot NDTV, for example, has been our customer for almost three years. So, you know, we and not just in the north and south, right? From Inadu. So all a lot of regional publishers, we just onboarded Amarujala as well. And a lot of these regional publishers, etc. Like like for example, uh, NDTV's uh, uh, all display ads on NDTV website are being run through ad pushup. Like at the back end, ad pushup is deciding which we're running the auction. Correct, correct, correct. We're running part. And now we have a lot of offerings, right? Like Back then, I think it was that just op- option logic. But today, for example, we would be helping them also monetize their offerings. You know, now we also have video player. So today we would also be helping them monetize the ad blocked impressions. Somewhere around 2010 to 2015, ad blocker extensions grew really quickly on the web, right? Right, right. People would add it to the browser, like on your Chrome browser, you can have an ad blocker extension, which will stop a banner ad from loading. All together in the first phase. Now, the second phase of growth of ad blockers, basically the ad blockers came to this conclusion that the problem, and we were part of that study, which happened very early, I think around 2016, 2017. Back then we were not, we did not have any commercial interest, but we were as interested in the market, always exploring what ad blockers are. It is something of interest to our target persona or our buyer persona. So we are doing all this research when we realized that you'd be surprised that 70-80% of users who were installing ad blockers, they were installing it because of those YouTube unskippable ads. So back then, that was the number one reason why somebody would install their ad blocker. Does it work? Like, does it help you get rid of that ad on YouTube? Yeah, it does. It does. And uh, and how, how does it do that? Like, it just blocks the network cons to all those, you know, advertising resources. Yeah. Get further research. Why do people want to block ads on websites? If they are, let's say, too flashy or too much of the page is covered with ads. So so those were the top reasons why people, but it's not that consumers wanted to kill media content creators or something. Their idea was, you know, it's just too many ads or, you know, unskippable video ads. But once you install an ad blocker, then no matter as a publisher, if you're keeping that balance of ads or also it doesn't matter because it's blocked altogether, right? So we were able to build in partnership with some of these ad blockers called an acceptable ads program where there is a threshold where, you know, you don't show too flashy ads and uh, people can, of course, opt out, but, you know, a lot of 80, 70, 80% of the ad block readers now opt into this program, which is basically that balance, right? You don't cover more than 15, 20% of the screen space, no flashy animated ads. You can block list websites selectively so that because of your one single installation of ad blockers, not every publisher suffers. So that whole management of that user experience or how ads are to be personalized and show to the ad blog users personalized, not in terms of the ad layout, because our product is ad layout. For us, it's, you know, automatically built and built into it. So it was very complimentary. So that became an offering and it was very natural to us. India is not a very big desktop market in the first place. They're more mobile heavy. Okay, ad blockers are more effective on desktop than on the phone. In the phone, you don't have that marketplace, right? In Chrome or things like that. There's no Chrome extension you can... Yes, exactly. So that, but yeah, in the US where most of our publishers are, there, of course, the product was super useful to the point that tech blogs, for example, 50% of their audiences would be using ad blockers. And once we bring in this acceptable ad standard or that balance, they would be able to recover or recoup, let's say, a sizable portion. Then AMP, for example, Google's AMP project. What kind of tech blogs are working with you? So so we have worked with like very sizable tech blogs, more like CNET, etc., for example, but in different markets. But I think one of our biggest publishers today 
which we work in partnership is Yahoo. So even Yahoo's ad block, Yahoo Finance, etc., which is ad block ads, they're being monetized through us today. So yeah, you were telling about the other features. So one feature was this monetizing yes. ad blocker audience. Yeah, correct, correct. So I see the key is when we realized that job is to optimize the revenue, all of this became part of started becoming part of the product, right? Components of the product. Uh, yeah, yeah. And and your incentives are so beautifully aligned because correct. you will only earn if the publisher earns. If they get more revenue, then you get more revenue. So your incentives are absolutely. Which which also means that we can charge them a bit more, right? When there is performance, there when there is higher risk for us, the reward is also higher for us, right? So we realized, you know, they were really trying to make sure then position accelerated mobile pages, right? The Google AMP projects so that pages load faster. But then again, because there being a project where you can't run any script or something, there were limitations which publishers had. So we got part of the project in this open source project, you know, which Google had initially of course started, but now run very independently. We got our modules published solved for that and brought a lot of advertising technology and optimization systems so that publishers would also improve their revenues on their AMP pages. And this AMP, what is this AMP? Just explain that also. Accelerated mobile pages. So basically, a few years ago, what problem which a lot of biggest internet companies, including Google and Facebook, realized is that the reach of the internet is basically the only thing stopping it today is, especially in developing countries, is slower internet, right? So in countries where there is slower internet, especially mobile users, it is still extremely difficult. Think of all those dial-up days, right? For a lot of like, let's say, think about pre-geo days, or even like in tier two, tier three, two G, three G. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was even today. You will find that in a lot of places, mobile internet connectivity is not that strong, and that was because how HTML and web was like. It was just so complicated. It was just it was not the early HTML days anymore. JavaScript, CSS, and all could become so heavy now. So they came up with came with something called instant articles. And Google started something to avoid a conflict of interest. Helped actually start something which now is completely open source and independently managed. An EMP project called Accelerated Mobile Pages. So once you put your website on the AMP format, it becomes a lot more lighter and faster. How do you get that format onto your website? Like, like, do you put in some code on your website or what is it like? Or is it a set of standards and you have to follow those standards? Correct. It's basically that conversion process. Actually, if you're a WordPress publisher, it can happen through a plugin, a very simple plugin. But there is a conversion process where your a lot of your HTML content will basically get converted into predefined tags. It will not have a support for everything. So you won't be able to put a lot of custom JS and things like that. So, but it, it does become end up becoming a lot more faster. So you build your website in an AMP compatible manner and there is some AMP specific code which the browser is able to understand and render that page with less bandwidth being consumed. Correct. When it's a when it's a mobile device with like whatever characteristics. Correct, correct, correct. So that and of course content creators. And, and in an AMP page, you can't really have banner ads and all because it would defeat the purpose. You can, you do have ads, but those are also lighter ads. And then the ad component is severely restricted, right? So, so with those, while keeping those restrictions and like whatever sort of limitations of the platform, we were able to, for example, push in terms of tech what we could do, right? The hard being again, technology or developers or coders, you know, like, so, you know, like while restrictions of the platform existed, we were again bringing, bringing that efficiency, optimization, etc. So that became an offering. 
and then off late very recently as as recently as a year ago we started building that video player right since for video ads like as soon as you load a website the video ad is playing on mute something like that so so more so for like in stream in stream is you know where like say people are consuming like for example youtube picks picks the biggest market right or netflix takes the biggest market but then there is a lot larger ott market there is ct there are so many other companies right which require video players and some of them of course like cnet cnet would have like video reviews of products on their website yes absolutely so so publishers which will have already a video content right and will run it need a platform to be able to monetize that video content stream that video content so that's what we started foring into the video market as well we ended up also launching a product called glimpse now this is the first product outside the monetization sphere where it is more for engagement how do i make sure that i give a wikipedia like experience to an average internet website so for example i i don't know if you're aware or if you're conscious about it but when you go to wikipedia right you open one article but you end up finding so many right click based hyperlinks that you end up seeing five or six other terms which you're curious about right so 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 just like that on a media property and you might have had hundreds of employees your content creators and written a creating an article today would probably not remember some an article which was related to something what they're creating today or to a term or something what is being discussed in the article right now which somebody wrote let's say or in a session team 3 years ago right which is very relevant and contextual to line or term or something being used so that collective knowledge does not exist but being again since our technology works on the publishing space or like on the website across the whole directory like all the pages we have that knowledge or intelligence about what each stage or what how large the website is and as we plug in more information and context about the page so we are able to bind it all together so we brought in a small tool called glimpse and that basically is able to automate that process of like finding relevant links inside and connecting them to your pages so so sort of to give that wikipedia experience on every website right improving engagement so we started expanding which i think is very important as once once your primary product takes off which will like increase the uh, the time spent on the website like users will spend more time because if i'm reading an article on a topic and there's a link up in it about related yeah page views per session the bounce rate goes down so all your metrics improve now not only are we selling to the revenue or ad operations team but the product teams inside media companies are also using the product you know so it's basically a very standard business strategy and how does this get integrated like if a publisher like this would be a wordpress if a publisher is using wordpress then you give a wordpress integration or or at the time of if our if our script is already there it's just a switch of a button right they don't have to do much and you will have some some sort of a machine learning algorithm which will try and figure out which is the most relevant link for a specific set of words absolutely so that motion started about year and a half or two years ago and while all of this is happening as i said we established a lot more where of course we are really scratching the surface even now this is such a large market especially if you look at us and europe i think market share would be still about what 1 1.5% based on recent estimates you are looking at only large publishers here like only 1% of large publishers are currently using ad pushup yes so for, yes absolutely in any case the market itself large publishers dominate or generate 80% of the market so 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 in terms of overall revenue right i think that's what 
basically is making up the market. So we are looking at enterprise also mid market, but mid market in the in the publishing. So publishers that don't use ad push app, what do they use? Their alternatives? So they now we do. Yes, we uh, have a competition from two or three competitors. The market has evolved a lot compared to when it started last eight years ago. Who are those competitors? Like so, so, so there are companies like Freestar. There's companies like Monetize More, etc. Nothing Indian, which we compete in that international landscape. Of course, we also end up competing with indirectly with let's say small consultants or no product setups, which we end up basically displacing in most cases. Like there would be a, an agency who would be managing the monetization. Correct, correct, correct. So you would displace that agency. Absolutely. So that, and then AdSense replacement, that's a different market. There are some companies which do what we do that AT testing, but they operate in a different market for that long tail, right? So we wouldn't consider them as competitors anymore. But eventually, but predominantly, if you'll see in this market, even if I look at the charting accounts, the marked accounts that we have today, which we have identified that we're going after, at least a billion, two billion dollar worth of revenue through those accounts, which we aim to go after, right? The market sizing that we have mapped in our CRM. What's your current ARR? So our revenue is, because as we said, you know, portion part, we take that of the higher revenue. So our gross and net are different from a technical SaaS business. But what I can tell you is that last year, we ended up hitting our goal, which was about $60 million in run rate on a gross revenue basis. No, no I, I'm not clear what is the difference here between gross and net. Like you're saying gross is the total revenue that your client generates. That is gross. Not the what the client generates. That would be higher. But so what when, when we do this auction, for example, right, for our publisher, it only this extra delta, right? And uh, when we create this most efficient auction for our publisher, in some cases, we also would bring in additional demand. For example, let's say the publisher has only Google and Pubmatic and Inmobi or a few other partners. In the last three, four years, what we've also built is 50 to 60 such relationships of our own. For example, maybe 2% of your traffic could be coming from South America, right? But you don't have any demand partner, which is South America specific. Whereas we would know that. So what we do is our Maila publisher would be generating, let's say, $100 in debt. And we created a delta of, let's say, $60 or $70. So out of that $70 additional dollars that I'm bringing you, technically, I should be charging 10% and making $7, which should be my fee, right? My net revenue. But what ends up happening is, while we take a, take your revenue from $100 to $170, we're also bringing maybe some of these very, very niche demand partners, which you don't have access to or you haven't partnered with yet so far, which we are okay, let's say, if in the future, you know, uh, with for complete transparency, you would start working with them directly also or something. But but for at least some time, what ends up happening is out of that $170, while I'm supposed to charge 7 but I may also be responsible for bringing some additional demand to you. So out of that 170 it is possible that maybe $30 is actually being generated through my platform. Which I am being the publisher also. Correct. So 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 this 60 million run rate is basically that revenue, including what our fee is, plus on top of that, some revenue which we are generating for the publisher, which we pay out to them. How long is your sales cycle? Like tell me how you onboard a publisher. Like so today, depending upon I think the region that we are in, it changes a lot. In a true enterprise setup, it can easily take like a year, right? Yeah. So I think six months to one year is very easy. And this is because there are multiple decision makers, plus there is some some amount of time needed to also deploy, like even after they sign up. I'm not even including, yeah, deployment or scaling up is again, we've built a whole assembly line, right? Like 
from a small sales team now to a point where we structured this is basically key part of the assembly line where there is the SDR team which basically goes and does the sales development and identification actually even before that there is an MRA team which goes and find all this data right market research the universe of leads basically yes they will basically build this universe of companies to go after and do extensive research so not just find the name of people their designation in companies we capture more than like 70 80 parameters about the company and the contact so a very in-depth search about each of these things their preferences their likes etc which is used a lot with us marketing outbound teams etc which we use in targeting and personalization etc but from there there is the sdr team which tries to develop or identify the need right basically there are before somebody goes to the actual sales team or as we call it the account executives there is something which we call as bank so buyer so basically bank is a Basically, this is a way of qualification to understand if somebody is ready to be sold or not, right? And a lot of it is basically education. What's the full form of that bank? Like? So, so the first thing is budget. Make sure that we understand what the budget is, right? Inside the buyers. Why does budget matter to you? Because you are you are only getting paid if they get more revenue. Correct. But you know, in order to, for example, get to that point. In our case, that budget would mean qualification in terms of the size of the publisher. So bank is something which is the traditional term which we implement, but the way we would borrow it is in making sure that it is qualified in terms of size, right? So, but that is the first thing. Second is authority. Authority means the person we're talking to the organization, are they even relevant to the problem that we solve? Correct. And understanding the authorities layer or decision-making layer, how they take decisions in the company. Third is the need. What is their need? What are the problems they're facing? What are the challenges they have? Is there something we can solve? And if not educating or developing it, the fourth T is for timeline. Is the need now or it needs further education? So the, the SDR team will continue to work with them until it is right to be sent to the sales team, right? When they're looking out for solutions, when they're, in a way, if you can think about when that tender process opens, when you're invited to that dance where, you know, they're reviewing four or five vendors or whatever to you know, select the partner to work with. So, so, and then the sales team, which is the account executives, which is basically they're going out and like helping ensuring the sales decision making is influenced and we're able to showcase our best step forward based on the information we gathered through that SDR process. And then once the sale happens, the account management team is which basically nurtures and scales the account. How manual is the process of scaling the revenue? So, I mean, your goal when you sign up a customer is to increase the revenue because you get 10 or some such percentage of what increase you generate. Is that all on autopilot or is there also some manual intervention to grow that revenue? So the manual intervention, so one big change again of our product from SMB to enterprises, whatever we would do give as a platform as self-service in SMB, right? That people will do it themselves. Basically running the tool and ensuring it's success is now the account manager's job. So basically, whatever manual work we have to do is basically figuring and running the tool. Okay. And running the tool, you mean like deciding the optimal layout for the ads? Because the auction would anyway be automated, right? There would be no... So so there are so many things in the auction logic as well, which are personalized, which you want to disallow, for example. Things like that. So there are so many components which for an enterprise setup, you know, which are configurable. 
I think configuring that in the tool is what becomes. And I think once in a while, of course, one in maybe 20 cases, there might be some. See, if you're selling to enterprise, you can't be scared of customization. It's actually a feature. Like with, you generally build a peripheral team around your engineering team because your core engineers, you should let them focus on the product. And as uh, Girish of Freshworks calls it, it's called the SaaS knife, which your sales team brings to your product or engineering saying, okay, if you don't give me this, we churn or lose this account or whatever. So... So basically, those personalization and little bit of customization are something which which are inevitable. They have to go as part of the offering. But I think one in 20 cases. In majority of the cases, the tool current, it's more around making sure that the customer is using the product correctly. And we are able to really educate the buyer, the customer in that case. So isn't it like a set and forget? Like you do a one-time setup and then it just runs on its own? For 80% of the work, yes. Glimps would not be something you charge extra for, right? Because it is naturally adding to your revenue increase target. Like if a customer is reading three articles instead of one, then automatically the ad revenue will increase. Or, or do you charge separate for Glimps? So it depends. If that is the only feature that you're using, then yes, we do charge separately. But that pricing eventually changes. In the first set of customers, we didn't charge them at all, right? And now I think we've built a sort of a pricing model around it, but, but which is pure like fast-based. So I wouldn't say it's perfected out, but as you, as you slightly said, the majority of the value which we get from Glimpse is also helping the first set of the business or the core offering. So it's very complementary. Yeah, and same would be the case for the ad blocker and the EMP products. Like they are essentially contributing to revenue growth. So you anyway. Yeah, yeah, we don't have to. So once somebody expands our offering to that product, the existing commercials are automatically in place. So the account size increases. Got it. Amazing. Okay. I'm just curious about one thing. Why do publishers use this tabula and outbrain for monetization? Like, especially NDTV uses it a lot. And I just find that so irritating. Both these companies started off as recommend product recommend, you know, content recommendation companies. I think, I don't know if you're aware, but their initial objective was to improve the engagement on the website, right? Like, they want... So they were doing what glimpses. But what what we're doing is through recommended links, right? Injecting links and that. But they were showing them in the, at the bottom of the article, etc. More articles we need to consume, especially at the bottom of the article. Once you finish reading an article, you're at the end of the article and you know, like, okay, they would recommend more articles to read, right? Which made so much sense. Yeah. I remember that like New York Times was the pioneer of this. Like I used to read NY Times a lot and at the end of every article, they would be like, other articles. And which makes sense. Which makes sense. If you think about, you find showing something relevant. I, as a curious person, I would definitely want to understand more about the subject. So, so a good percentage of your readers who reach that article end would definitely want to understand. But I think eventually, along the way, bring that business market fit. Right? While the perfect market fit was great for engagement, there is necessary need for you know, like to make sure that it's also something which makes money for the publisher and also for these companies is when like they started putting ads right inside some of these placements, etc. Because it would be hard to get a publisher to pay you a fixed SaaS subscription. I mean, publishers anyway are like struggling in the like in the world of free content so which is why our position so when we initially started we were also positioned as you know per page views etc we learned like very very quickly that in the market that we're operating it i mean don't go against the time yeah, yeah, yeah publishers can't yeah publishers love that data 
the delta is amazing for them because they are not stretched about money and if i'm generating and bringing them more demand also they're very happy because because psychologically they're not paying me anything out of their pocket technically i'm paying them right even after i'm increasing the revenue mm, yeah 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 I, i interviewed the founder of uh, izuto i don't know if you heard of them ah we were great partners we do yeah. so so they also have the same model na? like like they will Yeah, 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 hundred percent. The publishers that notification technology, and they will monetize by including few ads. Yeah, one of the events that we did in Dubai this year was actually in partnership. I mean, I've known Vivek since a very long time. Vivek and Neil, so they're also from Noida. So based here. So what what are you uh, thinking of doing in terms of like the roadmap on how you can improve monetization further for publishers? like how can you help them earn more because that's the bottom line for you also right like if you can help them to earn more so what are some of those ideas you have absolutely so i think as i told in terms of the market penetration we are really scratching the surface as far as the product is concerned the way we look at it now is one is our core monetization auction logic product right which is ad revenue optimization and then we have all these peripheral products which is glimpse amp video player ad blocker and we're actually now also looking to acquire some you know uh, early next year other products which we can like include as part of our overall product suite like the notification product of izuto something like that or other such like publisher focused products which help them monetize publisher focus yes not necessarily any specific category but yes publisher focused products absolutely or which can help other people with the same persona very recently we worked on a model to which it's a bit technical but how we do bid caching like let's say if you had an advertiser which participated on a one on a specific ad and they didn't win but can i cash that bid and then use it for the next auction wherein maybe that bid might be higher than the other auction bids that we got for the same user so i'm not sure if i was able to explain it but in very simple terms if i can just not finish and remove my auctions which were unused and bring them over to the subsequent auction highly technical but we we keep up these all one or two percent optimizations compound together beautifully right and then video is an excellent market like we 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 found that there are companies generating hundreds of millions of dollars of net revenue building legacy products etc and even newer companies right which are in that space and our revenue from video is still a very small portion of our overall revenue so i think we we found a lot of glimpse in itself has so many opportunities and use cases even outside the publishing space right? for content marketers bloggers right like so i think we we're, we're just realizing that for each of the product that we have what what beautiful journeys that we can build and i think next year but one big thing that we are also excited about is is trying to understand how maybe our first acquisition would look like because it's also always tricky right like bringing in new products making sure they succeed we've seen cases where most most acquisitions don't work right and how do you bring in more founders from outside in as for well, talent and things like that do you plan to raise more funds for funding the acquisitions or you want to do it through internal accruals we we have actually been massively cash flow positive very very profitable i think we have enough cash although we we've gotten just in the last 12 months two acquisition offers maybe five or six from sheets for investment etc yeah but I mean, we might consider debt to be honest if required like long term debt but the idea is to first maybe just fuel it using the cash flow that we've accumulated yeah what do you think will be your gross revenue this year end of 20 to 23 so far what we're projecting it because since we're almost losing 
the year end quarter four for us is very very significant it will uh, one role which it will which uh, will be important which with the overall economic situation in the us has not been great this year right so that's simply a fault is on how much that impacts uh, revenues for uh, ad tech in general but i think from our estimates they will end up closing this year about 40 to 50% higher than last year so this is more for the financial revenue from the last year so when we say we did similar in terms of run rate that is the revenue we would reach by the end of the year right in in november december but our actual book revenue for example last year was more closer to let's say 36 37 million dollars so so you again your run rate by in a couple of months would be hitting 100 million so in this case we uh, what and the number i gave you is more around regional book revenue so this year for example we'll end up closing our revenue between for around 45 million dollars on our on our book revenue our run rate this year is something which we are not projecting yet we are not sure of yet the same because of this i think it will depend a lot more on the economic situation but of course the objective is to be again 30 40% higher than 60 million dollars which we did last year yeah and and like you must have a pretty lean team right in terms of i mean it's not like a very ops heavy business you need like these high quality sales resources and tech resources but you don't need a lot of them so yeah our from our overall team size of 150 people the operations teams per se that we would have would be maybe about 10 people 10 12 people and that brings us to the end of this conversation i want to ask you for a favor now Did you like listening to the show? I'd love to hear your feedback about it. Do you have your own startup ideas? I'd love to hear them. Do you have questions for any of the guests that you heard about in the show? I'd love to get your questions and pass them on to the guests. Write to me at ad@thepodium.in. That's ad@thepodium.in.